Hello and welcome to The Manifest Image. Here we look at art movements, their works, theory and explore their relevance to artists of today. I'm Thomas Greengrass. And I'm Ariel de la Garza. So, this week we turn to Non-Servium, first work of creationism, a brand new movement. Are you excited? A brand, brand new movement, yes. This was recommended by yourself, actually. Yes, so my idea here is to move into some slightly lesser-known manifestos, or at least... Yeah, yeah, I think lesser-known... In less the Anglo-speaking known, world, Exactly, lesser, less um, spoken of in the Anglo-speaking world. We're going to build up to uh, other movements like Ultraism, mm. um, which That's is Borges, Borges, Borges mm. and um, Stridentism, mm. which was Mexico's first avant-garde movement and one of one of the first, generally. Um, yes, and that way we can we can start to venture out of Europe into different yeah. parts of the world. And it'll be interesting because I I know that sort of by the 1920s. You've got a great connection between uh, uh, very Spanish-speaking cultures and the French. Um, I mean, uh, uh, someone like Frida Kahlo uh, is mm-hmm. is very much enamoured with uh, André Breton, uh, and because and he's visited the, the other way around. Uh, uh, well, certainly. So, well, yeah. she, she well she knew how to actually make her living, mm-hmm. and thought, I know how I can try to impress yes. this guy, and he'll make put and, me into and she did. galleries. Yeah. So. Uh, we will move into those movements presently. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're starting with uh, with obros creacionismo, um, particularly non and with um, non serviam, mm. which is his first manifesto. Now, as with all things Vicente Widobro, you have to take this with a many many grains of salt. Mm. It is not entirely known whether this manifesto really was written. It was supposedly delivered as a lecture in Santiago in Chile in 1914. So it's not entirely known whether that's true or whether he wrote it in 1920 and then pushed it in his book Manifestos, Manifestos, Manifestos and published it along with the rest of them. But we can take his word for it. Yeah. In this podcast. Well, be kind. Do you know what? I'm going to further complicate it by mm-hmm. saying... Uh, in later works, in some of his interviews and other um, other manifestos that we will look at, he says actually he's already thinking about some of these ideas in 1912, and this lecture is 1914. And how old would he have been in 1912? Uh, so 1914, he's uh, 21. Uh-huh. Okay, so 1912, he's 19. Yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. He was already married then. Oh. He was already married then, and he already published one book. That's, but, that's <laughs> a lot more than any of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so he says, like, oh, I was, I was definitely already thinking about these things, but other writers are sort of saying, mm, we're not so sure. It's, it's, it's difficult to know, but if we do take it, it is a, yeah. uh, that as fact, it would fit. Um, this seems to me like the first uh, shot across the prow, kind of. Um, because the first thing to, to do uh, if one is to follow into something like creacionismo. So this is the first 
um, thing. Do you know, I, you I, I couldn't yeah. agree more. And I like the idea of it being delivered as a, as a, as a kind of a talk or a lecture. Um, the way that it's written, it, it, for those who have been long-time listeners or who have perhaps gone back and seen some of our er- or listened to some of our earlier stuff, it reminds me very much of the early Futurist manifestos in terms of it's not just a set of declarations. Um, it is actually set out with a narrative that there is uh, this wonderful um, uh, linguistic aesthetic sensibility that just runs through it as, as, as a, just an exciting story. It's very short. Yes. This, um, you know, as you would imagine. Less than, less than a page and a half. Yeah. Yeah, about a, about a page and a quarter, right? yeah. even less. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, it, it really took me back to when we were first reading that, you know, the founding Futurist Manifesto, or Let's Murder the Moonlight, Let's Kill mm-hmm. the Moonlight, um, because it, it really is an exciting piece like that. It is, yes. So, could you tell me a little bit about Widobro and uh, some of the background to this movement? So, Widobro is a Chilean poet, um, and he is working at a time when the prevailing, um, the prevailing movement or... Uh, yeah, the prevailing movement is modernismo, which is uh, modernism, essentially. It's a movement that has strong links <coughs> to uh, Parnassism and symbolism um, and the decadence. So these are mainly French literary movements um, that, at least Parnassism, is a rejection of the, po- of the poetic. Mm. Um, they despise... Uh, poetic emotion and lyricism. Thereafter, formal perfection, cleanliness. They have historical themes, classical Greco-Roman themes. Um, they're sort of anti-political as well. And yeah, it's 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 quite a limiting form in a way. I mean, mo- modernismo is not only this. I mean, they they have symbolism. Which symbolism is, I think, freer and maybe more interesting. Yeah, we'll definitely get around to Mm -hmm. all of these. Well, especially, uh, uh, maybe we'll gloss over Parnassianism, but um, certainly symbolism, decadence, um, and uh, what was the other one? Thomas wearing his great loves on his sleeve. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And aestheticism. There we go. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, We will come to all of those and that will be an exciting time. But um, I think this will actually work as a fantastic precursor of these ones. Yeah. Because we see the aftermath. But also, uh, I think it will also be wonderful to, to gauge how unique these writers are. Exactly. Um, because unlike some of those movements, say, symbolism and decadence, they, they are cross-media. They are multimedia. So there are plays. Mm-hmm. There are operas. There is music. There, there is, is painting. Painting, certainly. Sculpture. Creationism is fundamentally poetry. Yes, so it makes a break from the whole Matisse work and Forbes. Yes, it's, it's, it's fundamentally poetry mm. and uh, it could not be in any other way. No. Um, it, it is very much about poetry and words specifically. So I thought a good way to, to get to start um, before we get to Non-Serviam is to read a small excerpt of a poem by Rubén Darío, who is perhaps the primary expositor of uh, modernism in mm. the Spanish-speaking world. And it's called, he's from Nicaragua, Nicaragua. It's called A Litany for Our Lord Don Quixote. King of all cavaliers, lord of the sorrowing, from warfare your sustenance, from dreams your cloak borrowing, crowned with illusion's golden crest, of whom none has ever beat down the daring, 
as the shield on your arm all vision bearing, and all heart as your lance in rest. Noble pilgrim, all pilgrim surpassing, who sanctify all roads by your passing with her tread heroic, august, uncouth, against certainties and against con consciences, against laws and against sciences, against falsehood, against truth, errant knight of all knights errant, baron of strong hearts, prince of the valiant, peer among peers, I hail you aloud. Hail for today obscures your station, amid the disdain and adulation, amid the crowning and ovation, and all the idiocies of the crowd. You who deemed slight old records victorious, and for whom tales called classical glorious could hardly with reason and law be told, bear with eulogisms, memorials, discourses, strive against poets' prizes, tickets, concourses, holding to Orpheus, the Orphean you hold. And it goes on. Wow. It's, it's wonderful, isn't it? What a way of summing up the man of La Mancha. Yeah. And it's also it's also funny. I mean, yeah, it's funny. There's was it the knight errant of all knights errant. Yeah, the knight errant of all knights errant against falsehood, against truth, against laws, and against sciences. Oh, well, of course, the sciences. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone <laughs> against science. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So so that's roughly the world that Vidobro is living in. Mm. Now internally, he has a, a an existential crisis. Mm. Now, if I know Thomas, I know that he loves a good existential crisis. <laughs> um, one of his favorites is John Stuart Mill's oh, existential yes. crisis, and in in a way, they're they're quite similar. And I think as we progress with Udobro, we might we might uh, I might taunt him into making a uh, comparison between the two, because Widobro's uh, response, some people say, uh, namely here I'm thinking of Cecil G. Wood um, in a wonderful book called The Creacionismo of, of Vicente Huidobro, uh, they, they speculate, and it's not really a speculation, there's mm. ample evidence that Creacionismo yeah. is Huidobro's attempt, his solution, his attempt to solve the existential, uh, yeah, I guess, malaise that was left him by a loss of faith in Christianity. My God! If he started young, then if, if he did, we believed he did. him, then he was already. But di these... didn't Mill also have a crisis in his youth? That's true. Oh, yes. there we go. And they and they have the gall to say that there was a midlife crisis. Yeah. There are whole books on midlife crises that use him as an example. Ridiculous. I know. So so, in the back of your mind, think that that this is the start of a solution to a profoundly existential problem. Mm. That Widobro seems to have found within himself, and perhaps within the heart of all men. I, 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 th I think that's I think that's right. Mm. I, I don't want our listeners to uh, get the wrong impression and think that this is just merely a psychological problem, right. as opposed to you know no, no, the key word there is existential. Existential. It's that, it's it's a problem of yes. existence itself, right? Yeah. It's, it's not one of uh, being well. Perhaps it's being bored, but it's to do with existing. Mm. That's it. And recognizing your condition in the world. Yes, exactly. And I think that, you know, even in non-serving, my very, very early work, and I'll, I'll be honest, I've read ahead a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've done a bit of cheating. I've been reading some yes. of the poems and some of the other manifestos. But we're going to keep those, you know... Away. Away, away for the moment. As much as possible. Um, yeah. We don't want uh, it to cloud our understanding of non-serving. But already here, he is talking about a, a, a sort of kind of metaphysical reality, mm -hmm. a, a very peculiar kind of aesthetic impulse 
and something about the very nature of creation that yes. is available to human beings. Yes, absolutely. Um, and perhaps later uh, we'll see how he uses those elements to craft some kind of a response to, to this deep malaise mm. that seems to follow him around. Yeah. And also we'll look at some of his poetry and we'll be able to see in greater depth how that plays out. So, moving into non-servium. Absolutely. Is there any part that you would like to read? Do you know what? I was thinking about this, and as short as it is, I'd love to read the whole thing, but I'm afraid we can't, we even can't for criticism. It's, no. <laughs> it's somewhere in the bylaws. So we'd yes. love to, but we oh. can't. If not, they'll realize how, how little work we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but perhaps I'll, I'll, I'll just read two uh, separate lines, two mm -hmm. little separate sections. Until now, we have done nothing but imitate the world in its aspects. We have created nothing. Moving forward. Mm -hmm. We have not thought that we can also create realities in our world, in a world that ex expects its own fauna and flora. Flora and fauna, which only the poet can create, by virtue of that special gift which Mother Nature herself gave to him and only to him. Mm -hmm. And finally, just jumping back to an earlier section, the poet, he no longer wishes to serve it as a slave. Mm -hmm. How would I sum it up as my pithy summary? Mm -hmm. Non-servium. I will not serve. Yeah. So why don't you actually take us... So there were a few different things there. We're already mm -hmm. getting a sense of some sort of realities that we can create and that we've been bestowed a particular kind of unique gift. And would you like to read that first, that first line? And here it is that one good morning after a night of precious dreams and delicate nightmares, the poet rises and screams at Mother Nature, non serviam. Oh, and if you're wondering whose translation was that, that was Ariel's yeah. himself, because he's reading with all the Spanish. With all the strength of his lungs, a translating echo, an optimistic translating echo repeats from the far away. <laughs> from the far away, I like uh, from, it. From far away. I will not serve you. Ah. Oh. oh, that was beautiful. Oh, we're getting some unique translation here, mm -hmm. yes. <clears throat> I'm reading an English uh, translation done, uh, done by uh, Michael Smith and you'll have to help me here, Louis... Luis Ingelmo. Luis Ingelmo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I'll start. Yes. It's got a fairy tale of folk aspect to it. Like a in the beginning or once mm -hmm. upon a time. Here we've got it. And so it is that one good morning, mm -hmm. <laughs> after a night of beautiful dreams and subtle nightmares, the poet gets up and shouts Mother Nature, non servium. Mm -hmm. Why the Latin? I don't know. I don't know why the Latin. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I could think that maybe Latin because Latin is in a way the language of maybe the language of the natural sciences or of the, the kind of age-old, uh, yeah, the age-old accumulation of knowledge. It's also, it's not vernacular, no? Mm. It's, it's, 
I guess it's it's maybe a more fitting language if one is to tell Mother Nature to <laughs> go to hell, like <laughs> in, a, in a sense, to to that that you will no longer serve it. Do you know what? I think that's a brilliant insight. I think that's great. That's, yeah. that's a really good one. I like that's that. That's what I'd think. Yeah. yeah I, 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 the only other thing that I could think of um, is uh, that you know, a lot of scholasticism yes. was done. Um, uh, you know, so European-speaking... Uh, uh, you know, Latin was the language in the medieval and scholastic I mean, and, periods. But. And now, and here we're really... I, let's spin some gear. You know, let's yeah, spin really, away. Let's really see. speculate. Yeah. Um, if if he is if part of his crisis and it is a recurring theme in his work to think that um, that Christianity has failed massively I mean, mm. Latin is the language yes. that that mass is given in right I mean in yeah certainly in until the, all this yeah. it, it it goes on I mean, he's, it would have been Catholicism right yeah Second Vatican Council hasn't happened yet so yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah so so maybe there is some of that as well. And to this day, I mean, the Vulgate Bible is is the Bible that they will use mm-hmm. um, even now, which is a, that's a Latin translation. Mm-hmm. There you go. So yeah, I, no, very interesting there. Lots of food for thought there. But it, curious that he begins with this, you know, almost storytelling aspect. Mm-hmm. You can imagine him up on the stage there, you know, giving his yes. talks to all these people. And how does he say, you know, it's it's a wonderful morning, and they've woken up. Who is it? The poet. They've woken up from beautiful dreams and subtle nightmares. And the first thing that they do when they've awoken is non-servium. It's an epiphany. It's a kind of a yes, revelation. It's, it's an epiphany, and the poet sort of goes off and has a dialogue with yes. nature, whom he, whom, as nature is about to smite him, he calls, uh, he says that nature is actually a, a lovely old, old lady. Mm. And um, nature is somehow kind to the poet after being called a nice old lady. He's not rude. Um, he, exactly. He's not he's, rude. He is rude. <laughs> Honestly. He's not rude, exactly. <laughs> he's an absolute delight. You'd have him round for dinner any day. <laughs> and and, and what, what this is, as he mm. says, is that uh, the poet, in full consciousness of his past and of his future, was throwing to the world a declaration of his independence before nature. Yes. So he's independent before nature, and that's what's happened here. Now, is this merely a denial of realism, of saying, I no longer want to be realistic? Because in modernismo, for example, mm. uh, it's unclear whether that's just bare-bones realism. I mean, sure, there is perhaps, a, uh, at least in Parnassism, a deliberate... Uh, impoverishment of language just to an extent to maybe to, to, to do away with what they would think of as ex- literary excesses um, but is that is that all this is is he just saying I will not be realistic I will be do something else is that is that all that's going on what do you think so certainly I don't think that that's all that's going on mm-hmm. um, but what what's interesting is if we look at why we think he says it, what are his reasons? It's very clear from reading, or, mm-hmm. or from back then listening, that it, it definitely isn't a, a, a mere spiteful child, although there is something of an element to that early on, because structurally, as we've said, it has this, this folk fairy tale aspect, um, but it's this poet who wakes up. I mean, it's a young, rebellious yeah, poet. Exactly. 
But there's actually a sense of maturity. There's mm -hmm. a sense of maturation throughout this entire poem, as if that they have actually come of age and they've actually come into their being. They're no longer an infant. Absolutely. I mean, and to, to add to that, it, it's, uh, it, it's no accident that he said that it's mother nature. Yeah. Right. It's explicitly, uh, he, he, I think he, he met, calls himself her son at some point. Yeah. So he go, uh, yeah. should we mention it now? Well, yes. We'll certainly mention it later. But you know, he he, he there's a feminine aspect to nature that mm -hmm. he really develops in terms of multiple relationships. Uh, saying that you know, goodbye, my lovely little old woman. Goodbye, mother and uh, and stepmother. Mm -hmm. He's got a complex relationship here. This poet. absolutely <laughs> mother and stepmother yeah. and lovely old lady. Um, but also, I mean, from that very beginning. Uh, where nature threat, as you mentioned, nature threatens to throttle him. You know, Mother Ra Nature was ready to go off and kill the young rebel poet. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a young rebel poet, explicitly mentioned. When he, doffing his hat and making a graceful gesture, exclaimed, you are a lovely old lady. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense that he's doing it not out of a, no, I'll do whatever I like. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, this is this is meant to be someone who has actually recognized their powers as a human being and I think this ties in with that existential issue that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. there is you know I, I can't help but think of Kant's you know what is enlightenment mm. and that it's actually a kind of an education a sense of, of becoming and in that case it's it's a sense of developing one's uh, rational faculties both their uh, um, uh, both their um, theoretical and practical and having this autonomy. In this case, we don't have that. Instead, we have a poet. There is an element of it where he says... I think, I think that's... I think he's that's aware a, of his past and the future. I think that's in full recognition. I think that's an excellent comparison, actually. Oh, thank you. Oh, no, because, because in, in what is enlightenment, it's dare to reason. Right? Mm. And uh, here, you know, he has a similar, yeah. similar motto. No, non serviam, and also dare to reason. He says it in Latin, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and perhaps, perhaps, although now, now I might be thinking too far ahead. There is even there is even a slightly deeper connection because, um, uh, well, I don't know if, if it's if it's in any if this would in any way be be a, a, a Kantian view, mm -hmm. um, but with Obrado does seem to to have certain ideas about language and about words and uh, certain words maybe being merely impressions or phenomena uh, and there maybe being an underlying word. Now, you know, that word is the real, the, the good one, you know, that you find beneath these words. Um, now, of course, were he Kantian, and we were doing some kind of a strange yeah. uh, a superposition of Kantian things onto this, because I know that things are in incredibly different. Um, uh, Kant would obviously say that there would be no, even if there was this word, there would be no way of accessing it. But yes. we also believe that perhaps the poet can in some way. Yeah. So this, this we'll see later in uh, poetry is another manifesto of his. Yes. But... Yeah, it just you, you, your comparison with uh, the Enlightenment uh, made me made me think of that. No, I think that that's important, and I think that yeah, that's it, it's 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 certainly all in there. Um, that 
our narrative, and I apologise for making such a, a cumbersome uh, sort of journey of it, normally I would have summarised it and said, yeah, we begin with a dialogue and then we change over. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 sorry, we begin with a third-person narrative and then we change over. I didn't do that this time. Uh, but... But we do. We begin with a third-person narrative. Yes. And, and we change to a first-person narrative and there is then a dialogue between... Um, the poet, the and, poet Mother Nature. and Mother Nature. Yeah. Um, and we will definitely. But then, but then the poet, the poet uh, becomes mm -hmm. the writer, right? And then it becomes a first-person yeah. um, account, which which I think uh, uh, makes sense. Uh, Thomas had, had mentioned this earlier. I think it, it makes sense that it, it fits rather with the theme of of maturation. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic that you mentioned yeah. this now because. Uh, yeah, it is in many ways non-serving is actually spliced uh, two pieces spliced together. That's what it seems like because you do have this, uh, you know, what you know the, that fairy tale once upon a time, and then we, after several certain things, where our third-person narrator is saying what the poet is saying mm -hmm. and how they are saying it, quoting them, we reach this point where we seem to sort of almost boil over and explode. Mm -hmm. And what happens? We've lost our narrator to only have the poet. And we don't even have nature responding. Now the poet is actually respond, uh, you know, quoting nature. He's putting words in nature's mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, at least earlier on in our third person bit, uh, we talk about the echo. So we mentioned that echo that once the poet first screams, you know, non-servium, that there is an echo. They actually have this greater significance. They, they, they have this greater power. Nature can't speak back. Only afterwards can uh, nature speak from the words that the poet actually gives her. So now, for example, to give you, to give you an example, uh, he says, um, And you will no longer be able to tell me that tree is bad. I don't like that sky. Mine are better. Mm. So that's where he's, he's kind of uh, assuming nature would chide him um, for, yeah. for not... Uh, faithfully uh, reproducing her skies and trees. No? And actually, do you know that, that I th want us to pick that up on that later because that's going to have very important uh, implications for the, any critics. Mm -hmm. um, because he's sort of moving the goalposts. He's saying what you can and cannot say. So you'll no longer be able to say, uh, like if this was painting, say, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's not a portrait of so-and-so. It doesn't look like them. Mm-hmm. That would no longer be a fair criticism. Right. Like, likeness and, and no. uh, life. Yeah. Life exactly. likeness would no longer be. It is criticism. an attack on it. But I think uh, um, we've already mentioned that there's the coming of age aspect and we've got our, our mm -hmm. figure of the poet and mother nature and early on this, this third person narrator who, you know, might be, you know, the lord of history, whatever, mm -hmm. <laughs> writing it down in Eden mm -hmm. uh, just to carry on. I first of all want us to pick up on uh, in that earlier section when uh, uh, our narrator is actually quoting what the poet says. Uh, we find that the poet has actually mm. he's come to this realization that I will not serve, and then we even get uh, in my, well, it's uh, no longer in Latin. I will not serve you, mm -hmm. but also the I will not serve. Um, we get a defense by the narrator 
saying that, you know, th- this isn't some sort of superficial or trivial action, nor mm-hmm. is it just the act of like, an irritated child. No, this is done with full re- recognition of the past and an awareness of the future. Mm-hmm. And also, this isn't just a burst that's happened right now. It's actually a lengthy revolution, the totality of multiple experiences. Mm. So there seems to be almost a, a you know... A, uh, there's a path of history that's been drawn out here. You can think of like a, a Marxist or Hegelian kind of uh, mm. moment going on here. And in what part do you see that? So it's, it's still early on. It's still early on before uh, we get too much of the poet uh, speaking, but that it's it's not going to be an arbitrary act. It is this uh, very mm-hmm. well thought out and actually sort of destined act. I think that comes in with the maturity mm-hmm. thing that, you know, one will grow into one's being. Right, that it's that it's... So it says it was the result of a lengthy revolution, the totality of multiple experiences. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's where we get that, you know, independence from nature. Mm. The human being is not well, separate. Now, it, 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 none of this implies that this is, that this is uh, inevitable. So... It's, it's not made explicit, but no, I but think I, that I, in terms of how it's said, it seems that... I don't think... I don't think I, well, I, I think if, it, if he did conceive of it as inevitable, it would somehow undercut the strength of the greatly independent act that is saying non-Servian. I don't, I don't think that he There's thinks of that... human beings as such a break from nature. Because he still sees that, you know, whatever gifts that we have are from nature... Right, right. And uh, even when we are in our act of creation, we will still have to borrow certain things from but nature I guess, and make I guess, use of them. Right, but the I guess the, the difference between... Hmm, I mean, maybe, maybe it is, it, it, this is baked in, just baked into the concept of maturation, but I don't see a... I, I mentioned this only because you, you said um, something destined. like... Destined. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this determined. is destined. I don't think this is de- determined or destined. Um, I think one can, can well go on doing realism forever, if one wishes. Oh, I, I think that he agrees with that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I, 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 I don't see this as destined. I don't see anywhere here that this is destined. I can't defend it too much more uh, no. without reaching for other texts, but... Um, ah, okay. Uh, but, uh, no, I will just say that it was a stage of a lengthy revolution and the totality of multiple experiences. Mm-hmm. Given those experiences, I'm going to say that this is a result. And uh, for the moment, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, but nothing would suggest otherwise. But yeah, <clears throat> I want us to focus on this early claim because we, before we get into what sort of ideas he's thinking about in this, you know, what is this creation that we can do, mm. and what are these other worlds? First of all, I want him uh, us to focus on some of the reasons that our poet gives to his his brothers mm-hmm. in this. Until now, we have done nothing but imitate the world in its aspects. We have created nothing. What did we produce which was not there before us, surrounding our eyes, challenging our feet and our hands? Mm-hmm. I'll go on, actually, because I think we can deal with these two points together. We have sung the praises of nature, which matters little to it. We have never created our own realities. Now, mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. And I'll, I want us to reflect on that. We've created nothing. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Well, apparently. <laughs> is that, well, is it, is it right? Um, I mean, 
when we when we think this is it invites many of the problems here um, of of a typical aesthetic discussion when you talk about something like um, uh, does art just imitate and is well, that well for Widodo clearly he thinks that we haven't he thinks that everything that we've created um, is merely a re reshuffling of I guess the cards nature has dealt us in some way yeah it's a bad copy um, exactly it's they're a just, bad copy which is just, a platonic argument yes you know it is um, but then again he's he, he is very platonic I you know if, if one takes certain versions of Plato yeah no I definitely um, think that that is that is right kind of, a kind of naive idealistic Platonism um, but but uh, yeah yeah. It's it's but that's a considerable thing. But but there is a question as if an artist say paints a tree or sketches a tree or if a poet describes a tree. And so I'm thinking, okay, let me stick to poetry just mm-hmm. for the sake of our example here. I'm thinking of someone like John Clare, mm-hmm. who is one of the uh, uh, Anglo Romantics. And unlike Wordsworth, who was you know dealing with a lot of metaphors, John Clare of course does also deal with metaphors, but. He also has a real appreciation mm-hmm. for individual uh, natural objects mm-hmm. and will go to great lengths at trying to capture something about uh, perhaps their essence, mm-hmm. if he believes in such a thing, but certainly in trying to sort of wax poetical about these things. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, you could certainly say that it is imitation or representation. But is there not creation within that? I would think there is. I mean, hmm, let's see, trying to think as Widobro in some way, um, with the little that we have of him so far, it's difficult to, to know. But I think it would be, he would think that, again, he is merely trying to represent what's there in some way. Mm. And that would not be creation. I mean, he's putting words on paper. Mm. Um, and a painter is putting again it's difficult he is very specific to poetry but you might say the same thing a painter is putting paint on a canvas but if what's being painted is a tree then what's been created in a way now that that that's in a that's some maybe maybe an unkind view from Widobro um, towards the labors of his fellow poets and artists. But, um, yeah, I, I, I tend to think that, in a way, when people use the word creative nowadays, mm. um, it's usually just someone that makes a product. And by product, I mean just something that is, has been produced by one. So, you know, if, if and, and, and also if it's not something entirely businesslike. So mm. it's, if you are, if you, to create something or to be someone that is creative would just be to come up with novel-ish ideas and then you write them down and you put them in a thing and then that's a creation. But clearly for Widobro, that's not what he means. No. He means something else. He means uh, something new. He means to make something wholly new and wholly one's own in a way that moves beyond mere description or reconfiguring things. Here I'm thinking also of maybe a description of the Garden of Eden, right? So something yeah. that maybe doesn't exist, right? In any, yes. in any way, yeah. and, or a siren, something like this. It's still a woman 
the part fish, right? I mean, th- these things are still... Oh, do you think that's still too close to reality? Maybe. It might still be. It might still be building blocks of things slapped together in a novel way. Ooh, a little bit like... Oh, that's an interesting uh, do you remember? That. Do you ever remember those, those uh, picture books as a kid that have three strips? Yeah, yeah. Of different drawings, and you move them around, you, can, you, yeah. you reconfigure, you make a part crocodile, part alligator, uh, part Thomas. You know those? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm very So familiar, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. I mean, that, that could be, because we all really want something quite radical here. So, I'm, I'm, I, do you know what? I'm really curious about that last one, and I think that that because, will be you know, something he, that we'll come back to. He is working with symbolism. I mean, there are there are symbolist poets yeah. moving at the time, and I mean, there are... I'm not sure he's going to go Greco- quite that Roman. Far. I think he might be okay with some of that. Might be. Um, but I definitely, I, I definitely agree that he, he... Whatever it is, whatever this act of creation is, um, the reason that he is a... He, because he doesn't give his attack on nature there uh, uh, to all of its effect. Rather, he's trying to assert, and I, I, I put it in this way, mm-hmm. he's trying to sort of assert some sort of potency within us. Yes. And it's the notion that we and, don't and, have to rely on nature. And, we actually have this uh, untapped potential within us. And so that's mm-hmm. why there's been no creation. I don't think it's necessarily well, a devaluation it, of what's gone before. No, no. I think he actually loves a lot of what's gone before. It's not, it's not devaluation, but, but saying that we haven't created anything before, although it sounds like yeah. a devaluation, might not have, doesn't have to be. I mean, he thinks nature is beautiful. He does. He has Greatly a good respect, beautiful. yeah. Um, and I, I think what, what you'd said now is, is it's, it's, both, uh, it's, it's both recognizing the, a, a potency... In, in, in one, in the poet, and also a license, and also giving the poet license to use it, no? Yeah. To no longer be criticized merely by, by what's there. And I think rhetorically they're given license because it's, it's set as this kind of coming-of-age thing, so yes. that sort of already gives it this rhetorical uh, additional power mm-hmm. that, you know, he doesn't need to argue for because he just put it in that format. But yeah, I, I think we, we, we come through that when we see uh, that, you know, he says that, we, you know, we can also create these realities. We've already read it, mm-hmm. but the fauna and flora, and that this is a gift that Mother Nature herself has given. We read this right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But so he, he's very much within nature at times, but also recognizes something that makes us stand apart from everything else mm-hmm. within nature. It gives us a unique spot. And, uh, you know, this is reinforced when he says that Mother Nature herself gave to him, you know, this poet, I don't think we have to take it as him, just mm-hmm. masculine. I think we can generalize it. So that, it is. But, yeah. um, but only to, you know, the human beings, to persons. But then goes further. Mm-hmm. Then goes further to really assert uh, um, and uh, consolidate the position. Non servium. I do not have to be your slave. Mother Nature, I will be your master. And then what happens? He ends up saying that, sure, nature will use me. Mm -hmm. And that's fine and that's right, I accept that. Mm -hmm. But I will also use nature. Now, what what does he mean here? 
the mother nature will use him. I think he recognizes that he's not, you know, human beings are not completely independent of nature. We are still liable yes. to, uh, you know... We all, may still need to use trees. We may still need to use trees. Uh, but also, I mean, you know, nature will affect us. We'll still grow old and die and get ill. Sure. Um, and I think that subtly that there is actually some sort of undercurrent in what, you know, that's an undercurrent... Uh, within non-Servium that you were mentioning earlier about this uh, some sort of recognition of our condition. But certainly that, you know, we Dobro can borrow things within the world. And this is why I was doubting, a little bit curious about right. this issue of, like, can we even, like, combine things for, like, a siren? Because I think he's fine with actually using certain things together, but to create new kinds of relationships in new worlds. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Okay, okay, well... That will be one that we'll pick up in future. Because because he he gets he, he really does get very very metaphysical, and very kind of platonic, and he does seem to want to shed uh, the direct associations that words have with the things in the world, and create new things, uh, and perhaps that's what poetry can do. Now, we will see later, um, and whether I mean maybe maybe it's entirely impossible if you're a Wittgenstein or something to do the kind of thing he seems to want to do. Um, but nonetheless, I think it yielded some wonderful poetry. Mm. But yeah, it, it really is very, it's very radical what, what he's, he wants to do. Yeah. But now I, I want to read that, that segment um, that yeah. you did, the whole thing, because I think it, okay. it, it, it encompasses, it, it, yeah, I think it's yeah, beautiful. Non serviam, I will not be your slave, Mother Nature, I'll be your master. You will avail yourself of me, that is all right. I do not want, nor can I avoid that. But I will also avail, avail myself of you. I will have my trees that will not be like yours. I will have my mountains, my rivers, and my seas. I will have my sky and my stars. This is beautiful. It is. Yeah. Can you also, because this actually leads on to the next point uh, that we mentioned earlier about mm -hmm. uh, shifting of the goalposts, could you translate... The following line. Oh, yeah, and you will no longer be able to tell me that tree is wrong. Uh, I don't like that sky, mine are better. Um, I will respond that my skies and my trees are mine and not yours. And they don't ha there's no reason, reason for them to be alike. You will no longer crush anyone with your, pretend with your exaggerated pretensions of that's that's a tough one. I don't know how to translate those last two. Oh, I like it. Do you, yeah. We missed a trick. We could have got you to uh, translate the whole thing. Well, it's and not, we it's could not, have just recited yeah, it, yeah. and that would have been fine. Yeah. Instead, we're worried about Michael Smith. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. no, but I think that that's perfect. Mm -hmm. That's perfect because this is uh, this is a really interesting point. When it comes to uh, having standards to gauge the merit of an artwork, mm -hmm. whether it's written or whether it's visual, whether it's performed, we always look for different things and there have been hierarchies for art forms and hierarchies within how to, to gauge certain things. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, people talk about, you know, you know, terrible romance novels as automatically that style, that genre of writing is going to be lower sure. than others. But one that you typically see... Um, and it comes quite naturally to people. It's, 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 it's quite intuitive. And we mentioned it already in portraits. It's how 
it captures a likeness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you'll often hear people say, oh, that's very good. I think it looks like them in mm -hmm. that portrait. I like that portrait. It really captures them. And they'll say that about the trees. Oh, yeah, wonderful landscape. Wonderful. And so the closer it resembles the actual reality that one sees, the better it is. Mm -hmm. That is one and quite an easy gauge for art. There are complexities down the line, but that's one way that you can do it. And already within Impressionism, they're sort of casting doubt on how you can do that. Yeah, and, 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 actually, and actually, you know, the, the more I think about it, it's a, it's a really hateful criticism, isn't it? Well, the less something looks like... Well, I mean, it, it, just, just facsimile, it's... it's, it's um, mm. I guess at best one can can talk about it as as uh, as technique, right? As being able to approximate something. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you should, or that there's any value in doing that. Yeah. I mean, I mean Aristotle. I mean, when he talks about you know mimesis, mm -hmm. um, and he was talking about it generally within the arts, he just says that yeah, there's just something with the human beings that makes us you know want to copy or have this disposition to copy mm -hmm. or to imitate or to represent, to somehow depict. And yet, it's never, especially for Aristotle in his time, it's never merely to do that. No. Um, maybe in uh, some types of the uh, 70s, avant-garde avant for the 70s, maybe, um, performance art, mm. people did really take that to the full extent. And, and you just have incredibly boring stuff that is just someone doing the dishes for 45 minutes. Um, there they maybe really go full mimesis and, and yeah. it's, it's unwatchable. Well, really. no, it can be, I mean, it can be interesting for some... It can be interesting, I'm, I'm sure, but... You know... Well, this is a fascinating But I want no point. part in it. Yeah, oh, you're <laughs> right. Least. Already within Aristotle, I mean... you know, it, It's mimesis, but of a specific type. I mean, yeah, he's already going to set limitations on Not really mimesis. You know, even I mean, how can, how, how can you mimic a god... It doesn't make any sense, right? And yet, in an actor, you praise them for doing a really... They did a great Aphrodite. He would, you know... He would yeah. say, <laughs> Aristotle would say the cocktail party after, after a tragedy. Oh, that was lovely, Absolutely, Aphrodite. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, darling. You're oh, fantastic. Darling, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fantastic... Yeah, it's, it, a it's, it's, a bizarre, it's a bizarre concept that nonetheless is foundational, at least when people... Especially when people speak about the craft of an artist in some way. A craft as opposed to whatever the other thing is, right? Yeah. Um, Do you know, yeah. I mean, in Vasari's lives, probably one of the first great, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, art artistic uh, uh, works of criticism, but also of, uh, of uh, a kind of a history and culture. The general sort of tra trajectory within Vasari's lives of the artists and sculptors is that we are actually becoming closer to nature. But that's only at one level. Because he wants to get to Michelangelo and mm -hmm. say Michelangelo is the best. But he also wants to say that actually there's some sort of spirituality that they're capturing. And maybe that's somewhat platonic or neoplatonic in that sense. But so it, it's very prevalent. But yeah, it's interesting. So we've got this rejection of naturalism mm -hmm. uh, or certainly at the very least a challenge. Yes. But I think it's, it, you can just say it's explicitly. I think this is a rejection of naturalism. Yeah. On all of its levels, yeah. both naturalism and realism. Exactly. I mean, both both on the on the formal level 
uh, of um, sort of like the, the 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 form, the way it's realized, but maybe also the themes. I mean, everything. Seems know, to this be is precisely what I was going to distinguish mm. uh, for the listeners, because um, even within uh, naturalism and realism. Um, if you look at those uh, naturalistic plays mm-hmm. um, or, or, uh, or novels, they'll still be rounded up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in particular, the plays, I'm thinking of the well-made play that we've discussed before, it's still got a very strict structure. Yes. It's still got these rules and regulations that, uh, unfortunately, reality is too ignorant to respect. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you can't get the staff with time. No, you, you, <laughs> it just doesn't you can't. Sound I mean, thing. reality nev- is never as... Uh, tight and satisfying as an Agatha Christie play, for example. Oh, gosh, don't bring up Agatha Christie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, even with Aristotle, yeah, uh, I mean, we, we have to have certain structures and we're going to end with, you know, a, a climax of some <laughs> sort. You know, I mean, the whole of the poetics, you know, the recognition. That... But yeah, and so, and this can happen at many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can talk about naturalistic subject matter and also naturalistic form. Yes. And actually you can divide those up into many more. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, just to give some examples, I'm thinking of something like, uh, you know, a, a Lark Rising, which is a classical piece. This is meant to be a naturalistic uh, subject matter. Mm-hmm. Just, it's, it's a bird that will be, you know, rising into flight. Yeah. And yet this is done in an ent- entirely oral form. And nature, I mean, it has sounds, but does it really have that kind of music, mm-hmm. the full fleshed out music? That's an open question, and to many, it probably seems like a no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, at the very least, we can say that the medium in which it's conveyed is non-naturalistic. Yes, absolutely. And you know, um, and and yet, even then, we can we can try to think of, uh, yeah, exactly, certain ways to make that medium more naturalistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, nude descending a staircase to go to the visual arts. Okay, so Duchamp's uh, cubist. Or sort of cubist, uh, 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 you know, masterpiece. Pretty cubist. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a nude that's going down the stairs. That happens. I'm sure people get up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's entirely uh, uh, sort of. I mean, already the paint you could argue is a non-naturalistic form True. because you don't really sort of. I mean, pigment. Yeah, is ma- natural, maybe, but you maybe, don't get maybe, maybe a, a sculpt, maybe a sculpture would be more natural. Maybe. Perhaps. Maybe yeah. if you did a sculpture with one of those uh, desiccated bodies from that body world exhibit, it would be more natural. Oh. But well, but but I mean, th- that is that is kind of the absolutely that, that, that is kind of the issue, right? I mean, it, 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 there is always a disconnect, and it, ha- it we ha- we seem to have chosen certain art forms within which we circumscribe whether or not something looks. Mm. Um, but then we like could actually go else. further because something like Nude Descending a Staircase, um, which actually has, it, it, it visually has a, as, as contradictory mm-hmm. as it may seem, has a uh, temporal quality. Yeah. Uh, almost, uh, uh, I'm thinking of sort of like uh, uh, chromatographs and, um, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, you can see like a, yes, you know, like it, an you, animator. Yeah, like an where animator. Where you see certain uh, still images that seem to move one yes, after another. Yes, yes, yes. You, 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 seem, you, seem to, you seem to have a kind of overexposed image where, a surreptitiously exposed image where you see like different versions of the nude, different, exactly. the, the nude going down the staircase in sequence. Yes, I'm wanting to say... Uh, um, uh, so that's what it would look like. A bit like, for example, uh, for the, the longer term listener that has maybe looked up some of the futurist images, mm. um, the dog 
for example. Yes, Rusolo, I believe. I think it's a Rusolo of the dog. Yeah. Uh, of many, I mean. But it goes back to uh, uh, Mybridge. Yes, Mybridge, Mybridge for, uh, photographs. Our, yeah. uh, uh, do you know what? I was trying to remember Mybridge for a little while there. I was, uh, and all I could think of was Malbranche. No, he but, was... <laughs> yes, he was... Uh, Thomas was straining, and I was confused as to why, but now I know, yeah. Thomas comes from a long line of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from a long line of uh, sequences. Oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you could actually say that something like that... Uh, that is actually more naturalistic yes. or more realistic uh, because somehow it better conveys some sort of sense of movement over time um, or certainly a sense of movement um, in being in multiple locations, uh, perhaps in different time periods, but uh, uh, than, say, a still image. Why should, why should a, just a still image be more naturalistic or more realistic sure. than, uh, than, than one in motion? Than one in motion. Or, or simulated several. motion. Yeah. I mean, what? even cinema is still fake, right? I mean, it's simulated motion. Absolutely. It's still a sequence of still images. And it, it, it's interesting, though, perhaps acting is the just to continue down yes, this, yes, I yes. think, very fruitful tangent. Yeah. Um, perhaps acting is one of the forms that could be the most natural or that we can speak of mimesis in the best way and that it, it literally involves copying someone else's motions, right? Mm. Um, maybe. And no, yet, yeah. and yet, I think when people watch a good actor, that's not just what you watch. I'm sure there's natural, there's a, a a natural quality you want in them. Mm. Um, apparently, old Stanislavski, the great Russian Absolutely. acting uh, guru um, and director, and so on, to test whether uh, a young acting student had any future, um, he would ask them. He would tell them that they've lost their keys. And they have to find them, and then they're in this room. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't heard this story. Yeah, and he he would want them to uh, to do the most natural thing, which is you maybe they're in the room. Okay, so you, you look around in completely natural places to find them. In, in the keys, pockets, keys, you check keys, again. Keys, 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 keys. keys. <laughs> as, as you would entirely naturally. And so, if people started trying to do some wacky things, like look up in the chimney or something. I guess they didn't have a future in all Stan's Academy. Uh. But, 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 and yet, I have a feeling that no one wants perfect mimesis. You want a kind of naturality, but you want it to be supernatural in a way. I mean, you want the most natural thing you've ever seen. Yeah. And you want it to be so, so natural to go kind of beyond the ordinary as well. Um, so it's... It's never that's mimesis. A, that's, that's a curious point. So I, you're I saying that even naturalism is actually just uh, some sort of stepping stone I think it's, or I has think a it's, I direction think it's, towards this additional... I think it's fake naturalism. I think we, we say it's naturalism, but there are a whole set, like in the well-made play, a whole set of conventions in the form that elevate it beyond the miserable doldrums of everyday life in some way. Mm. And I think that's when you say it's a masterpiece. Um, that's that's pretty good. I, I like that. That's not bad at all as a, as a way. Because I, I was thinking that we could definitely carry on and you know beyond the uh, 19th century and talk yeah. about 20th century with stuff like kitchen sink realism. Sure. So like John Osborne's look back in anger, you know, being an example par excellence. Um, right. I mean, it's not it's not just a really bad argument. It's the worst argument you've ever seen. Yeah. 
But, but you, you want it done in a, in a way that makes it seem believable. I mean, you want to, to but believe... But it goes above and beyond. Yes, exactly. But you want to believe that Aphrodite is really, is really there mm. uh, doing something. I couldn't think of anything she's done for, for a minute. But, right, or you, you really at want to see... Of, uh, mm. uh, at the end of the Bacchae, uh, you have to have Bacchus come down in the deus ex machina. Right. Uh, <laughs> the god in the machine contraption. And... As they're all crying out, going like, you know, these punishments are too much, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to really believe that Bacchus is there doling out this execution. Absolutely. Saying, you yeah, have to, you have to, exactly. That Zeus has allowed all of this. Exactly. The actor has to make us believe that Zeus is really doing that. Mm. And I, I think that's a great, that's, that's interesting. Now, again, something yeah. else that concepts perhaps like naturalism. I mean, mm. Aristotle has the concept of mimesis, right? yes. of mimicking the world. But something like naturalism... But it could be uh, representing or yes. depicting, or it's not necessarily like a copycat parrot fashion sort right, of thing. Right, exactly. Yeah. But also because concepts well, like these, or even something like the Renaissance, which it, yeah. it maybe gets us closer somehow to man in a meaningful way, only occurs once art has become self-referential, right? Once it's become aware of itself and aware of itself as a medium, mm. and it starts to play with those things. And so I think art from then on is, is incredibly self-referential. So to have something like realism in the 19th century or naturalism later, it only makes sense in reference to itself as art. Gosh, it's almost like giving a, a sense of consciousness. Yeah, I, but I think so. It's, it's self-aware. <laughs> I think so, because you have to then first identify the other things as being non-natural in a meaningful way. And what does that mean? And, oh, well, it's mm. we have to shed this or that, maybe Aristotelian or whomever else concept of, uh, of what the play is or of what it isn't. And because, it, as you said, it's still not real mm. in any meaningful way. You are still play acting. You are still painting, right? It's not real. I mean, you. But it's not. It's you not. It's not making a copy of the external world. Yes, it's. It's because that would entail uh, something. You know, even the most advanced science today can't perfectly copy an apple, right? No. So, yeah, it's. And you know, there's I, a there's a conscious bending of the conventions of a form. I in like a way. this. I I like this uh, sort of this uh, this history or development mm-hmm. of of art as a. I, I really like that because I think that that actually quite neatly ties in with non Serbian. Oh, fantastic! Well, now we're coming back well, to no, earth. Thank of, God. Well, yeah, yeah because um, well, think of uh, uh, okay. We're saying there that the development of of uh, different mm-hmm. art as a form generally across media. Um, that first of all you start to mimic and then you get better at mimicking uh, you know what's going on mm-hmm. and then you can have the break. No. Well, how do yeah. children learn language? Mm-hmm. They originally speak nonsense. Well, they're then born... they start to copy. No, no, no. They're born with universal grammar. Oh, well, it's true. But well, maybe I don't know. They're born with <laughs> Charles, maybe. yeah. They're born yeah. with universal grammar. Um, but uh, uh, they start to copy. Sure. And they test it somehow. Maybe. Yeah. Some sort of testing. And then what happens is that they'll then, they'll reach a point where, you know, they're copying mm-hmm. more and more and getting more and more precise. And then what happens? Eventually they'll reach a stage of maturity where they'll start to break. And then they can create their own things. And they, if, even from a young age, children will be able to create their own concepts. And then children come up with slang. Exactly. Thomas is Bane. No. <laughs> oh man, that's like so sick though. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, horrible. Yeah. Takes, it's not horrible. The slang isn't horrible. You saying it is. Oh me? Yeah. <laughs> no, but 
I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. No, Where's my well. Oscar? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, but um, I, but I think so. I think that that also, as a way of you know growing into maturity, I think that that is you know that you could actually look at it. You know, how do you, how do we seem to mimic? Uh, how do we seem to grow? We grow by a mimicking. We get better at mimicking, and then somehow we realise that we actually have an additional potency that allows us to create. Well, certainly, certainly, that's that's with Obrol's version and non-Serbian. It is indeed. I think we need to just. Now, if there ever if there are any art historians that know that everything uh, that seem to know that everything I've said is false, well, I probably won't argue with you, but. Um, I, 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 I do think these things um, make sense and are germane to our discussion of Widobro. Yes. Um, now well, We certainly touched on lots of things that I wanted us to touch upon at yeah, some point anyway. Absolutely. I, I think... This is um, uh, yeah, he, he, there's, a, I think, a few more things generally about him. Um, hopefully we've managed to give you an idea of the kind of tone of the text, because it's at once playful and light, but really quite grave um, in other mm. moments. Uh, it's it's, it's absolutely wonderful. The structural, because uh, we've yes. already talked about, we've got the third person narrator at the beginning, and then we explode into this dialogue. But I'm not sure, you know, going back to our roots here, um, we used to talk about how we would react if we were in the audience listening to this and what do we actually make of it because, you know, the manifesto form is very unique. Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's a work of art that also teaches and it does so in very particular ways. It has to persuade. Mm. And so here, structurally, we said uh, it's split into two parts, spliced together, but I think that the way that this happens is through a changing of person. Mm-hmm. Tense of person. So um, it starts with the fairy tale manner, with the third person narrator recounting a day where the poet has an epiphany. The narrator describes their first words as non Serbian. Then they continue recounting what the poet says in the first person singular. So just to read it out, you know, they say, I will not serve you. Okay. This is still the narrator. The poet actually hasn't said anything directly to us. Or Widobra hasn't mm. actually said... This is just... Widobra is just talking about this narrator. Uh, and they, we're hearing it through them. They are the mediator. But then we shift... Then we shift into... Um, uh, the poet now seeing others. Mm. The narrator talks about the poet now seeing others. And this is the longest quote, and we've already read parts of it. Um, Oh, you know, the poet to the brothers. Mm-hmm. And here we, we shift to a we. Mm. It's no longer first person singular of I. It's still the third, pers- uh, third person narrator talking. But it's now the, until now, we have done nothing but imitate the world in its aspects. Continues. We have sung the praises of nature. Da, 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 da. We have accepted without further mm. reflection. Da, 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 da. And then we skip ahead. Uh, uh, um, to just talking about the poet, the final line of the extended uh, uh, um, of the extended quotation talks about the poet mm-hmm. itself. So there's almost a circularity there. The poet, we've moved from the I yeah. to the we, and then the poet. Mm-hmm. 
but it's the poet who's talking about the poet, so we've mm -hmm. almost got these, these dualities or reflexivity of the concept. But then what happens after that, you know, this is the gift that is only given to us, this act of creation, that we can create this new mm -hmm. world. And then what do we get? We get the third non-servium. Mm -hmm. So three times we get the Latin phrase, non-servium, non-servium. Only then do we have it, non-servium. I do not have to be your slave, mm -hmm. Mother Nature. I will be your master. We've built up and now we've exploded into this. Mm -hmm. And that's where we move into the poet. It's, the narrator's gone. Mm -hmm. They've disappeared. They've diminished. They've, they've gone into the background. We're not interested in them. Instead, all we've got is the poet talking directly to us. And we don't even have Mother Nature truly. It's only a sort of a pseudo-dialogue. Sure. Because the poet is putting words in nature's mouth. It's, it's an incredible thing. Um, it seems so simple if you put it down on paper. Okay, fine, what happens? Okay, we move from first person, mm -hmm. uh, 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 singular, to the first person, plural. Then we move to another, so, you know, just talking about, you know, the poet. And then we're back to the first person. Mm -hmm. But the way that it's done, and also this narrator uh, adding in lines that kind of defend the poet, saying that, you know, this was not some sort of you know, arbitrary thing. Mm -hmm. So they're sort of helping along. But the clever thing here is is it actually draws the listener in. Mm -hmm. And we don't even know it. You know, we start off in that very flowery beginning. You know, mm -hmm. we've constantly spoken about it, this, this uh, fairy tale beginning. But to actually be able to appreciate, you know, quite lightly, you know, mm -hmm. if someone starts off like that, you're not going to get too worked up. Mm -hmm. But then gradually they're making steps. They're, sure. they're, they're gaining ground. Until we he, finds his, he finds his, his independence. Exactly. from nature. Uh, but, his But not only that, but the, you as a listener or a mm -hmm. reader are being subtly tricked mm -hmm. because you're slowly granting more and more to it. And you're happy to do that because it seems quite distant. It's this narrator that you're really dealing with, sure. and they're just quoting. They're just telling you about this other stuff going till on. Then, till then, perhaps, if you're reading it aloud, you yourself. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. you know... Yeah. Also, thinking, thinking about it um, in the context of a lecture, if he yeah. did ever give it as one, yeah. um, it has a similar effect, right? Because perhaps when he says, we, 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 you're drawn along. Um, you're drawn along as part of the audience. And when he says, I, then... Oh, that's a well a because statement. you begin with the eye, yeah. but it's done through this well through the narrator through this narrator. Then the we, so you so you're then, like okay, I'm I'm far away from this point, then, then, and I can consider it more easily. Right, and then you're suddenly brought in with the it's we. It's no longer a mention and of the eye. It's, just, it's the use of the eye, and you know then it's we. Okay, maybe, but it's them with the brothers. Yeah, and then it's just the poet, the nature of the poet generally saying that this is what the poet has done and this is what they're like, even though it is the poet speaking, or, or rather... The, the sure. And so, okay, you're granting more and more as a listener or a reader, and then, but, but by that point, you're almost driven inevitably to sort of go like, you know, you can't help but, but sort of read it or listen to it in such a way where you're sort of almost giving in a little bit, yeah. just a subtly, as a rhetorical trick, and then we burst into the I... And at that point, you might as well be, you know, to hear Widobro give it as a lecture, you know, you're thinking that this is, this is a great proclamation. You as a reader, now you're feeling that, you know, mm. this is something that you've got. So it's, it's a fantastic little rhetorical trick that, um, you know, is very admirable in just a page and a half to do that. I agree. Um, you know, the argument has been 
fairly thin. It's mainly narrative based, and we've got you know we've had to speculate upon a lot of the ideas. But also, but also more uh, uh, a declaration in a way doesn't need an argument. <laughs> True. It's it's a statement. It's a statement, and in, in stating it, what what is there to argue really? Well, it always helps way. if the audience grants premises that have uh, you know then put into a valid argument, so they well, have to accept the conclusion. Yes, Thomas, but <laughs> only if the audience is you. What? <laughs> uh, not you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I guess me too. Um, but but I think There's nothing more that I love than nonsense yes. spewed out of me. No, no. Oh, I love it uh, to accept it. Um, but I, I think I think we're drawing to a close. Yeah, and sorry, I, 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 I went off on one there. No, a no, no, it's a, a good one to go off you on. Know, really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, I, I like to talk about some of the structure. You know, because yeah. it's beautiful writing. You know, this is. is a poet. I think he deserves a little bit of respect for. You know, he does. He does. Can, we can be a bit patient. It's a page and a half. Yes, and then I think time. I think we can. I think to to close out, unless afterwards we 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 are aching to say something. Oh yes. Um, says goodbye charming old lady goodbye mother and stepmother i don't read does it reneg is that what he says i don't reject or curse yeah i don't reject or curse you for the years of for years of slavery at your service they were the most precious teaching or learning uh the only thing I desire is to never forget your lessons, but I am old enough to walk alone through these worlds, through yours and through mine. A new era begins. Upon opening your jasper doors, I take a knee in the earth and I salute you respectfully. So, so it's, it's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful ending. Um, and it's, Shorn. This entire text is shorn of all the anger of futurism. Mm. It's shorn of these yeah. things. It's yeah. It's a beautiful ending. And uh, and I think there's something hopeful there mm-hmm. as well, which is that you know, like Widobra's poet here, who has come into some sort of maturity. And how have they done so? By seeing that they have this unique spark, which means that they don't have to copy nature. Exactly. They actually have enough within them a special kind of divine spark granted to them by nature yeah. and and learned and having drunk from nature's well well there rivers. you go and well and, will well do yeah and that that potency you know is is sufficient to create world's own little worlds worlds yeah. and nowhere does he say little no not <laughs> yeah. in this not in this so, uh, yeah. thank you very much. Next week, we will bring you more on Widobro, um, unless we have another series of devastating technical incidents like the past few weeks. Um, In which case, it will be Hieronymus Bosch. Exactly. No. <laughs> uh, it'll be something totally different. But uh, thank you very much. Thank you.